Hello to you. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. This week is all about our relationship to technology. And that is pretty resonant for me because I certainly have had to examine, acknowledge, and place boundaries around my relationship to technology. As you know, I have had dysfunctional relationships with a lot of things. (laughs) People, sex, food, money, uh, my body. So, you know, it's like playing whack-a-mole with everything, which keeps things interesting. That's the thing is once you sort of figure out that you have a dysfunctional or challenging, let's call that relationship with anything, then once you heal it, you can start to see those patterns showing up and those choices and the way of being showing up in other things and also the way of coping or dealing with feelings just moves to something else. And so I've been really mindful of my relationship to technology and Kylie and I, when we go out for dinner, we often don't even bring our phone. That's you know, one of the main agreements we have so we can be present because there, you know, there's lots of research that shows that a phone being present doesn't allow you to connect on a deeper level. You know, even if it's sitting in your pocket, it's like, guess what might be going on in your pocket, which sounds kind of dirty, but you know what I'm saying? So I think this is topical for everybody, especially considering how much I learned in this episode. The guy who you're going to hear, his name's Miles, just brilliant. And I learned so much on this episode and I can't wait for you to hear it because this is a thing that is really testing us all, really pushing us all. And it's new for our brains. Our brains don't know how to handle all the deliciousness of what our phone provides, what a computer provides. And I remember reading some research that said uh, the same part of our brain lights up when we find new information as when we found new food, when we're foraging. I thought that is so cool. And... I'm excited to share this episode with you. Before I do, wherever you use this technology, wherever you listen to this, if you can go uh, do me a favor and give a five-star review, that would be amazing in a written review. And of course, share this episode if it resonated with you in any way so someone else can heal their relationship to technology, but also to all the other things that I've been jamming on. And if you're really interested, what's happening is I'm doing a book club that's part of my membership too, where you get support in the membership, like weekly exercises, weekly affirmations, weekly readings, weekly videos, but also on top of that, the book club, let's be honest, is probably the most nerdy, delicious part. And we're doing eight dates from the Gottmans, which is, if you don't know them, they're like the marriage and family research experts. All Pretty much most of the knowledge on marriage is from their research. And so they have the book, Eight Dates is really about eight essential conversations, research-based that every couple needs to have. And Kylie and I are going to be going through the book and the eight dates as we do the book club, which is two months, one date a week. And we're going to be traveling during it too. So we'll be doing a video every two weeks, reviewing our experience of the dates and what we learned, which I'm so excited to share with you. That's going to be an interesting adventure, right? Um, So yeah, I better get ready for that. And so if that really interests you, all you got to do is go to bit.ly slash create the book club. So bit.ly slash create the book club. And I can't wait to see you there. It's going to be amazing. And just on top of the book club, where you get emails and everything, you also get the experience with us um, going through it and the support from the membership. All right. Well, I'm excited for you to join. So without further ado, here is my man, Miles, sharing his knowledge on technology. What's up, guys? It's good to be here. Thanks, Mark. 
Oh, this this episode, everybody, I haven't even had the conversation yet, and I already know it's going to be a zinger. You know when you're about to drop something hot and you come, you already know? Like, I'm sure Kanye felt that way about college dropout. Absolutely. He's like, you haven't seen this yet. Get ready. <laughs> Since then, though, I... <laughs> And I love well to stay away from Kanye as a subject, yeah. although he might be relevant to the subject at hand. Um, Miles is an expert at the relationship that we have with technology and social media. So more in this ever evolving area, digital wellness. So tell us a little bit about that, because I can already tell it's it's incredibly important. Yeah, well, it, it really started with self-mastery in general. For about 20 years, I've been passionate about self-mastery. And in the last 10 or so, I've really gotten passionate about the intersection between technology and humans, just because you know we're not prepared for anything like this. If you look at the scope of humanity, technology has always been there since the advent of fire. Controlling fire was a technology in itself. Language and, and writing and the sphere, they're all technologies. And they've all developed... Um, you know, over the course of time, but it's been very slow. And it's only very recently where the advances in te- technology have become so fast that we as human beings actually aren't equipped to evolutionarily even move with it. So now it's really impacting us in ways that we have not evolved for at all. And of course, technology is exponential. So if we think it's already changed so much, we're really in store for a wild future because it's only going to get weirder and weirder. So if we don't gain, so going back to the self-mastery, if we don't gain control about your, if we don't gain control over how we use these tools, they're going to control us or we're not going to have control over our lives. So more than anything today, I feel like our mastery over how we use technology is critical. And if not uh, the most important thing, one of the most important things. Yeah, it seems as though what is what occurs in relationship, you know, that we have these biological nervous system responses that code, you know, rejection as like a level 10, you know, code red, code red, bring all the thunder back, you know. Um, and even in conflict, how we handle conflict can often be overtly um, reactive rather than seeing that this conflict means nothing about who I am and what, mm-hmm. you know, whether I'm worthy or anything like that. It's interesting because they seem to be sort of coupled with this idea of like our biology doesn't handle those things well. And it almost like our evolutionarily our evolutionary response that we code something like a tiger happens even just in conflict with a human where we're not actually under physical threat. And you think about like our body has a similar response to, you know, not getting enough likes on Instagram or like, you know, being rejected by something. So it's fascinating to think that the same biology is 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 something we have because if you can learn it with you know technology or with people, you're you're finding mastery wherever you go. Exactly. Yeah, and one of the things about technology too is you know our brains don't really know the difference when it comes to social media. For example, our brains don't know the difference of when you and I are in the same room having a conversation, and when my phone is blowing up with text messages, our brain doesn't know the difference of what is more important to engage in because we're wired for for tribe and we're wired to be in society and have great social connections. So our brain thinks that our phone and what could be in our inbox and our email or on our social media 
uh, for example, is as important as the people next to us. And so we start to gravitate towards more online connections or, or uh, networks because it's easier to facilitate a lot of them. But of course, uh, they're not nearly as complex as we need them to be. The reason why we crave social connections is because when we're with people, we're getting so much information. You and I right now in this video, I get to see you. Uh, I, I read your body language. And of course, we've been reading body language way before we ever had words. So we're wired to interpret one another and, and our feelings of one another by being in the same room with, with someone else. And we're always giving off all of these really complex cues as mm -hmm. to communication. And that's how and why we love to be connected with people is that complexity. But on online, all of that is removed and it's just messages. You know, we're, we're, we're reducing these complex relationships to messages instead of conversation and real connection. And again, our brain is another difference. So we have to pull ourselves out of it and actually tell ourselves like, hey, this is not nearly as beneficial as it is actually going out and meeting people. And we know these things intuitively. We know when we're with people and we go out and, and we're hanging out with our friends, it has so much more meaning than our conversations online. But of course, these are addictions and, and subconscious behaviors that can very easily, you know, again, and trick us into thinking that we can have the same kinds of relationships online. And we have to convince ourselves in our brains that that's actually not the case. But it's weird to step back and have to teach ourselves that you know, because again, we're not equipped for technology. So we have to step back and teach ourselves how to be in relationship to it. And if we don't do that, it's, it's in relationship with us. It's in control of us. Well, and then we allow a skill set that was originally designed to, you know, build tribes and build systems and build things that are done in touch and in relationship to geographic closeness. But we're like used to building relationships through those things. If we don't actually figure out a skill set that goes beyond that, that can integrate it, you know, because there's certainly so many beneficial things of social media and of technology. Like you said, it's an addiction. And if we aren't mindful of the fact that because I think in a lot of ways, humans are arrogant in that we think one, we think we know everything. And two, we think we're beyond the biology that affects other people, mm -hmm. you know, when I can honestly say for sure that my phone often, you know, the dopamine hit of a light coming on, you know, or something like that has driven me. Like, I remember reading the study on how if you have your phone upside down at a table while you're in conversation with anybody, you're less likely to be as vulnerable because you're being pulled to the space of your phone. So it doesn't allow you to go to depth with the person who's right across from you. They're less vulnerable as well. Yeah, isn't that, like, to me, that shows you that there's so much more going on. Like, we take our phone to the bathroom so that we can connect with these other people on Facebook or whatever, and or Instagram or Snapchat, and then we, we go back to the table and don't experience, we don't put the same energy into this human experience that our biology is going to get way more from. Not to mention that when you're talking to someone via text message or on Tinder or Bumble or wherever, you're, you're right. You're reading their words, but you're missing all of the social cues that determine whether your body says they're actually a red flag or a threat. And then we wonder why, because we're not trained how to actually read red flags within verbal or sorry, like written. Sure. You right. definitely can, though, from pictures. Right. Well, again, because body language and, and yeah. we can see it, you know, but 
Yeah. And, and a lot of that, you know, it's, it's hard because again, our, our minds, we think that by engaging online, we are being socially connected because that our brains don't know the difference. Cause it is. So our brain goes, Oh, you just got a hello. You did it. Like, yeah, you did it. Got a new friend. Exactly. Meanwhile, it's like, you didn't get a friend. You got a, but then you feel lonely. You, you go, you feel lonely. You feel disconnected. You feel anxious. You feel depressed. And it's because, so they've, they've shown, um, you know, since social media has really taken off since 2010, the rates of anxiety, of depression, of suicide have all gone up. Now, like you were saying with social media, there are some really beneficial things about it. That's why we still use it. And that's why we started using it first place i think it's yeah. an amazing tool now we miss exactly and the first time i slid a dm you know there you go <laughs> and yeah there's so many benefits the first course i'm creating is how to use social media to improve your well-being because yeah. there are benefits of it um but the thing is once we start to use social media so much that we stop engaging the same amount of time offline. So if that moves into our offline behavior and our offline social connections, that's where it starts to uh-huh. the point where it's not healthy for us and we get anxious and we get depressed. If we use it in ways where, if anything, it it encourages that, then people have reported in studies actually that it improves their well-being. When you have meaningful conversations and connections on social media with people that you care about, it improves our well-being. But when the, when it's empty, when it's vacuous, and when we spread ourselves thin amongst all of these acquaintances and messages uh, to sort of boost our ego, um, then we we don't get the same we don't get the same response, especially when it doesn't allow us to have those same connections offline and and real relationships offline. Well, I mean, what is that balance then? I know you were saying that it's when the amount of time you spend digitally takes away from the amount that you would normally spend you know, out and about doing your thing. This would be true, I guess, then for any form of addiction, you know, like any, uh, and whenever it starts to negatively impact your relationships that are personal, Exactly. uh, that's interesting. I've never thought of it in that. I've thought of it like an addiction for sure, but I've never thought of that sort of, you know, there's a research, uh, I think it's by Dr. Valorand and he's a positive psychologist and he studies passions and he studies obsessive passions versus harmonious passions. I think you and I have talked about this before, mm-hmm. but he looked at like, if you have an obsessive passion, so let's give like a, a exercise, for example, because exercise is so celebrated, right? But when it becomes obsessive, if you miss it, you actually, you're so obsessed with this addiction of exercise that you actually, if you miss it, you get a negative health consequence. Correct. But the benefit you believe you get from doing it when you're obsessed, you actually don't get because you're so obsessed about it that your body is always in this anxious state. You talked about in the research that someone who's obsessed about the environment is more likely to commit a terrorist act against people in the environment. They're less likely to recycle. So you start to see like just how when we don't have a healthy relationship to things that this can happen. And man, I think it's so easy to get lost within your phone. Yeah, well, that's the thing now. It wasn't always that way, but now there are so many different manipulation tactics that are being deployed at every angle that it's really hard not to become addicted. They've understood, they've come to understand how our brains work. And social media now is designed in such a way to capture your attention. And our brains too have changed over the past 10 years and our attention spans are are shorter and our ability to focus has been, you know, diminished. 
And so social media has things in place and the internet in general has things in place like intermittent reward systems. Mm-hmm. They got it from gambling and video poker machines. And B.F. Skinner um, is a behavioral psychologist who talks a lot about this, where if you just give pigeons and you want them to take actions, if you give them rewards and it's predictable, they don't engage in the actions as much as you would want them to. They will only do it when they know that they're getting the reward. But if you make the reward system intermittent and you just give them rewards every once in a while and they have no idea whether or not they're going to get a reward, they will keep doing that action. They will keep pecking to get the reward nonstop. And Mm -hmm. so the same kind of thing happens with gambling. It's not about the thrill of gambling or it's not about winning a lot of money. It's about the fact that you don't know if you're going to get a reward or not. And it's that intermittent reward system. So it's the same thing with social media. Every time you log on, you know, you get rewarded with a like or a comment or a follow uh, or a DM. And when you and, and then we start to sort of like live for those. And we even pull down the screen, hoping for a notification, just like a slot machine. You would pull down a slot machine, hoping uh, for a reward. These oh, things to are refresh so, it. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So these things are so built in. And I mean, that's one, but there's probably in the course that, that I have, I list 10, there's, there's at least 10 manipulation tactics, you know, at play that we're constantly vying against. So not only are we not prepared, I'm not that strong miles. I'm not that strong. None of us are. None of us are. <laughs> That's the thing. We don't make most of our decisions, our decisions. 95% of our choices are made for us by our subconscious. So all of these things are affecting our subconscious every day and, and manipulating and controlling it. So that's why, you know, if we don't just do it, the concept, just do it by Nike is a great slogan, you know, uh, just do it, just go to the gym, whatever. It, it, it's great, but it's a short-term tactic because you yeah. can just do it for so long. You don't want to live a life where you're constantly having to like grit through and raise yourself up by the bootstraps and, and do the thing. Instead, you can consciously design your subconscious to allow you to do those things in an easy way. So then going to the gym feels easy as opposed to just doing it. So the same thing comes to our technology. We have to understand that most of our decisions aren't conscious. And if we're constantly being manipulated in ways by social media and by all of these different you know, websites and ads vying for our attention, if we don't consciously design our digital wellness life, it's going to control us. So we, ha- we have to put these things in place and take responsibility for our digital life or else, you know, we're going to be consumed by it. And I think it is a, when I think about my own relationship to social media, of course, I'm thinking about that this whole time of like, okay, well, when they put that notification of how much time you spend when Apple came out with that, you know, yeah. and I was like, man, we all could be CEOs of the largest companies in the world if we put the same amount of time into our passion. You get this <laughs> notification like, you don't know anybody. It's kind of like on Tinder or Bumble when you get to the end of the group and all of a sudden it just does a circle with your head with a radar. Like, there's no one left but you. <laughs> right, <It's>, right. <laughs> that, when I got that time notification, it really made me start to feel a lot more accountable for what time I was wasting slash giving away. And now that's a really important uh, point to bring up because that came into being because of Tristan Harris, <laughs> as far as we know. Tristan Harris used to, well, he worked with this guy named uh, Fogg, who is the kind of creator and inventor of like the, the highest level algorithms that are, that are out in the world. 
And after studying with him, working with him, he founded his own company and then Google bought him out and he started working for Google. And then he went uh, to Burning Man and he had an epiphany and he really woke up to the fact like, holy shit, the amount of control that we have to affect millions of people is ridiculous and really scary. And he created this presentation, which I highly recommend um, that everyone looks up and it, it circulated around Google. It's just like a, a slideshow. And so much so, and it created such a buzz, you know, essentially saying we are using manipulation tactics to control millions of people and it's dangerous. And we really have to be thinking about these things. Google actually gave him a job as being a Google ethicist to figure out how to keep people online as long as possible in ways that are humane. Uh, but he that left that backwards. job. I know he left that, that job like shortly after. Manipulation. It is. Ethical it is. manipulation. Which is why he ended up leaving. And then he founded the Center for Humane, uh, Center for Humane Technology, which mm -hmm. is based around the idea that we have to create devices that will help us take control of our digital lives because these social media companies and uh, software companies, they're not going to do that. They're going to try to find ways to get you to stay on there longer. So what we need to do is target people or companies like Apple to say, hey, here's what's happening. We love your phone, but can you help us uh, with this phone take better control of our digital lives because we can't do it all ourselves. We're being manipulated here. Can you help, essentially? And that's where um, that foundation came from. And then shortly after, Apple came out with all of these screen time settings and, and everything else, which is really important. And if you aren't doing that, if you're listening and you're not tracking uh, your screen time and how much you're on these apps, it's really important that you do just to get a better understanding of how much you're using it. You don't have to change your behavior at all, but simply by understanding how much you're using it, like you were saying, it will change how you fundamentally think about what you're doing. Yeah, I'll add to that, that the level when the shame truck hits you, when you get the time report and you're like, oh, Lord. And I told someone the other day, I don't have time. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. So when the shame truck hits you, let it hit you and just pay attention to it. And then take responsibility for your relationship to it. I found that I was getting really anxious around my phone in the morning. This is going to sound weird, but I, that it doesn't matter to me. Felt like my face was being pulled into the phone. Like actually, like it felt like it was like a weird anxious, like my jaw was getting tighter and I was starting to feel this physiological response to, and I would wake up in the morning and take my phone off airplane mode first. And then I realized that that's actually just a bad way to start the day. Sure. You know, build in like new strategies like meditation first, like things that connect to myself again, which are rituals and habits I had before, but you know, they fall away and then you got to bring them back. And if we have this, because, you know, I guess the part that I feel a little bit, I watched The Great Hack last week, that, that documentary on Netflix. And I was like, man, this is just like what companies do is they take advantage of their clients and customers in the name of capitalism and making more and more money. And they don't stop till there's some form of destruction. You know, you look at like our food industry, it's not any different. You know what they did with sugar? Look at climate change. Yeah. Like, why do we always have to wait till the fucking bottom to change? Right. Like, that's a human thing. That's not just a company's. But you know, no, like the, company, the reason why companies do that is because it's made by humans. Right. Like Facebook didn't come out and tell us about Cambridge Analytica. 
they told us when they knew it was going to be public. And we trust these companies with so much of ourselves, you know, with so much of ourselves. And then they sell our data and allow us to be manipulated. But if we, that sounds very victim-y because in, in the end, we allow ourselves to be, you know, manipulated. Yeah, but you know, it's it's not it's not victimy. It's there are manipulation tactics in place, and and that's a well known thing. That's what marketing is. I mean, marketing literally mm. is. You know, marketing is is directing people's attention. This goes all the way back to Sigmund Freud's nephew. Uh, I think his last name is Bernays. Maybe Edward Bernays or Barclay. I can't remember, but he essentially um, was the first person to realize that. You know, look, he wasn't the first person, but he brought it to marketing because he was Sigmund Freud's nephew. But he went into marketing and said, look, everyone here is using all of these rational ways of trying to get people to buy their products, but people don't actually act rationally. We act by our emotions. And if you start to market to them, to their emotions and to their human psychology and to their vulnerability, then you will be able to get them to take the actions that you want. And that's what government started to do as well. And that's where propaganda came about was was after that. So yeah, we, we're constantly being manipulated, but we're also being man- by companies, but we're also in governments, but we're also being manipulated by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have control over ourselves every day. We make choices that are against our better judgment of what we want to actually do. You know, Isn't that the truth of everybody's life is like, I want a great relationship. I mean, after Saturday, because Saturday is R and B night and they have a deal on rye and Cokes. And I'll have a one night stand. But after that, I'm going to be curious <laughs> about a relationship. Do you know, like I get exactly what you're saying, which is right. what we say we want is not what we tend to do. Our choices in our, and our desires don't often align. We go for short term kicks over the, the long haul, the resilience, the struggle, the sitting with our discomfort of not well, getting well, the thing. Exactly. And, and what it ultimately boils down to, and it's different for everyone, but it's the truth for everyone, is that you're going to make your decisions based on, it's not that you will make them because it's the short term or because it's the easy thing or because it's what you want or don't want. It's whatever your subconscious is telling you you want. It, your subconscious will influence your conscious brain to make the decision that it wants. Now, that's usually what you're used to. That's usually what you're familiar with because as a, as a human, we don't like to be put in situations that we're unfamiliar with. That's why we will stay in abusive relationships. We're familiar with the territory. It's not going to kill us. We know our way around very well. So to put ourselves in these unfamiliar territories, even if they're healthy for us, are, it's very hard to convince ourselves to do that. Yeah. Our subconscious doesn't like that. So we, to make, when, when we want to make decisions that are healthy for us, but we don't follow through. That's generally because our subconscious is taking over. Now we consciously want want to become better, and we don't want to go have the rum and coke. We want to make the better choice and stay in and work on ourselves. Or you know, we want we know that if we go have the rum and cokes the next day, we're not going to be able to go to the gym. So our higher mm. self, our conscious self, knows that we want that. But then when it comes down to it we find all these justifications, all these rationalizations that convince us, oh, you know what? It's okay. Like you can do it this time. And that's when our subconscious, our lower self takes over and and is running the show. And most of our decisions come from there. So unless we're able to, now we will fall victim to that most of the time 
again, we can just do it and bootstrap our way through and overcome those urges. Same thing with technology. We can overcome a lot of urges that we have, or there's a better way, which is designing and working on having a better dialogue with your subconscious. So it's making better decisions for you. So you're, you're setting yourself up in an environment where your subconscious is helping you. Your, your subconscious is a reflection of your higher self. So instead of you being ruled by a subconscious that is trying to get you to constantly do things that you don't want to do, you start to understand that most of your decisions come from your subconscious. So you start to live in such a way where you consciously begin to design your environment and your subconscious to help you become the person you want to be. Because mm, let me tell you, my subconscious is a chocolate-loving, orgasm-craving. I oh, Man, I feel like I was never... I, I really don't love things in moderation. This is why I, I mean, I, I never, I, I can't say I, I had in the recent years of my life, unhealthy relationships to much, except for maybe like food, which I sugar, right? It's like into my brain. So how does someone have this conversation with their subconscious, you know, and it could be something as simple, like I want a great relationship, but I'm picking unavailable people. Right. Sure. Well, right. I mean, think about sugar. Well, you could. The sugar is a perfect example where you could essentially say with your to yourself, "I am craving this because sugar is one of the very few things that humans were to find, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And anytime we found it, we ate as much as we could because it was rare, and our brains loved it, and it was great juice for our brains, right? But in today's world, uh, sugar is abundant. You can have the conversation with yourself and your subconscious, knowing where your addiction comes from knowing why you crave it. And then from there, you can start to step back from it. You can consciously say to yourself, okay, I know that I have this addiction. I know where it comes from, but I don't want it to continue. Then you can start to set up your environment. You can start to design your environment, like your house where you don't have those options available. Of course, you can also have, you know, better conversations with your subconscious by meditating or going for walks or exercising also by doing hard things like exercising in a gym and being able to set up situations in your life that are challenges, you design struggles into your life and then you overcome them. You are exercising the muscle to be able to say no because you've already overcome difficult things. So you can, you can pick your struggles instead of them picking you, you know, and then the better you get at being able to consciously say no or do the hard thing, the easier it's going to be. You're designing yourself now when it comes to sugar you know, eventually it can be a thing that you say no to that now you even take gratification over saying no to because you feel good about the fact that you have the power in you to say no to it, you know, and then that gives you positive reinforcement and that changes your relationship to it. So eventually your relationship to sugar can change altogether. And instead of it always being the struggle, the way you, you know, speak to it and have a dialogue with sugar can be entirely different. Yeah, I think that I've, I've felt that way about alcohol because I don't drink anymore. And I've felt that level of, you know, being proud of myself in some sense that it doesn't choose for me, I choose for it. And I think about, though, you know, in this idea of like, you get to choose, you know, I'm thinking of someone listening who's like, I don't want more struggles. <laughs> I'm not going to go consciously design struggles into my life. That sounds like crackerjack. So if I wanted to build this resilient muscle, right, this discipline, and I know we're coming back to the context of phone, but I think it's really how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? It's your relationship to short-term reward. 
And there's just so much of it in our phone, more than any, probably anything our brains have ever experienced before in our lives. Not to mention that porn's in our phone too, right? Like add all of these things, shopping's in our phone, you know, like everything. So how would I design that in a way that I can start to build this I can? Because I, I really want for people listening, like, and I mean, for me too, how do we move this in a way that we're constructively, like what would be the steps that we take? The first is awareness. The first is becking aware how much time we're spending if, to talk about technology. Let's yeah, let's, talk do, about let's focus on technology. Let's focus on talk about our phones. So let's first start with how long we're on our phone. You get the screen okay. time. Uh, if you have an iPhone, everything is built in as far as how long you're on it. You can track individual apps. you can track categories of apps. you can you can track how many times you pick up your phone per day. Oh, you um, can. Yeah, it shows yeah. you. I know. The average is, I think, 150 pickups a day. The average screen time per day for uh, an American today is 10 hours and 39 minutes. No, per day? That screen time. That includes computers, cell phones, TVs, but it's 10 hours and 39 minutes. And if you consider that oh my God. We're, we're awake for 16 hours, right? Because we're sleeping eight, hopefully. Uh -huh. That leaves, you know, more than two thirds of our life is spent behind the screen right now. I just and, fell out of my chair. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, ten hours. That's insanity. I know we're we're two and a half hours just on social media on average. Yes, so these things are controlling our lives, and wow. so the first thing, but we aren't aware of it again because we're so ingrained in this culture, in this life. You know, the Amish have a good way of looking at it. They're very strict about what technologies they uh, adopt into their life because yeah, they still ride horse-drawn carriages, don't they? Yeah, because they found cars. They try to adopt cars, and they realize that cars take them out of their community because they don't get the 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 the, the pulse of like you know the town, and and it, it took them away. It put a barriers of community into them. That was most important. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing, or you know, we're born into this technological world, so we just sort of like go with it but we don't understand the impact that it, that it has on us. And so they're, they do, and they're very careful about what technologies they adopt. So the first thing is that we have to step out of our digital life and, and track it and see how much we're using it. We should take a complete fast from it. We should disconnect from it. So uh, Cal Newport wrote a book called Digital Minimalism, which I highly recommend uh, to everyone. And he cites the Amish as well regarding this and they, they use a similar similar sort of way of whether or not they should adopt technology but the first thing that you should do is take 30 days uh, a break from your phone um most or people from, listening would die i bet and when i say most people listening i'm one of them <laughs> like so what i mean most by people would die let's all dead we only have to you only use it for things that are absolutely necessary okay so the rest of the things are cut out but you know for calls if you have to get, you know, directions every once in a while, that type of thing. Well, but no I one can find their way anymore. That's, no. no one knows how to use a real map anymore. No, but still even using, um, you know, just using the things that you absolutely have to for 30 days will change your relationship to Yeah. So you do that first. Um, and during that time, uh, this is what I do in my social media course as well. What you do in that time is come back to the things you're most passionate about. You're going to have more time on your hands. You're going to have the side projects that you've been putting off. Uh, you can start to understand that you have more energy to work on. It's not that you don't have the time. It's that our brains, you know, Cal Newport wrote another book called Deep Work. 
our brains, um, you know, we can't multitask. We're not good at it. We can focus on one thing at a time. And even when we shift from one thing to another, there's attention residue where we're still trying to process what we were doing when we're doing our, our new task. And it's really hard to focus on the new task until that sort of wears off. But all day, what we're doing is moving from task to task to task to task while there's all these open loops in our brain. And when that's happening, it's really hard for us to be focused and present and, and do deep work and creative work. And that's why the, the big stuff in our lives often gets pushed to the side but it could, because it requires that deep work and that focus. So when you take a break, when you take these 30 days, you're going to start to come back to that stuff. And then before the 30 days are up, you get very honest about your values and what's most important to you. And then you try to find how you can use technology, your phone, social media, you know, Reddit, WhatsApp, YouTube, Netflix. You find how all of these digital technologies can help you reach your values. And if they don't help you reach your values, then you shouldn't use them. You also have to make sure they're the best way to reach your values. So just because mm -hmm. social media is a great way to connect with people, is it the best way? No, it's not. You know, it's 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 for certain people, for certain ways, yes. But overall, the best way to connect with people, obviously, is in person. It's even better to FaceTime people. Uh, so we have to make sure that our technology meets our values the best way possible. And then we have to determine how long we need to spend on those technologies in order to meet those values. So we get very conscious and we have a plan about how we're going to use digital technology and modern technology in our life to help us reach our values. And if we aren't that intentional about it, we're not going to use it in ways that serve us. We're going to be manipulated by it. And we, we have to just be that honest about it. You know, We have to go into this knowing that there's that much at stake that we don't have total control when we go online. We all know that. We've all been there. We've all go, gone down the Instagram holes to know that we don't have, to, or the YouTube holes to know that we don't have total control over what we do online. And so it's really important that we approach it with intentionality. Yeah. I mean, I think about those YouTube rabbit holes I've gone down where all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I want to watch 10 more stunts that went wrong. That sounds like a great use of my time. You know, and the, that conscious, so the awareness, then the getting clear on your values, then getting clear on, is this contributing towards my values? And then it, am I choosing the right ones to do that? The best, is it way? The best way to get yeah. to my values. Yeah. And then um, how do I maximize the time in order to do that? I mean, this is really about getting very deliberate with your life. True. Right. Which is. All rock bottoms, all relational dysfunctions are an opportunity for you to get real with your life and your relationship with yourself. And I thought about it in this context of like, when I thought about my relationship to alcohol, which I did an episode on a couple of weeks ago, I really thought like, I don't want anything to dictate what I choose. I want to choose. 100%. Right? It's like, and I, that really came back to my relationship to just codependency is like, does what you think of me matter more than what I think of me? Does technology dictate my choices or I, do I dictate technology's place in my life? Exactly. I think for kids, that's going to be really interesting, though, because they're sort of born into this relationship with technology that they inherit their parents, which, again, this is going to be fascinating to watch the inherited trauma that now comes through technology. I mean, she, I didn't even think of that. That's 
like a mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad or whatever the combination is, have a dysfunctional relationship. Whenever I have a need, they turn to a phone because they're afraid of my emotion or they don't know how to meet my need. And now I remember I was watching a presentation from, I forget who it was. I think it was Stephen Post, um, who's a psychologist in uh, New York. And he was talking about how kids learn empathy from observing their parents interact and strangers and people talking and mirroring each other and conversing and having emotion and what expression looks like. But when their heads are down in a phone or in an iPad, they're not observing. So they're not learning empathy. So it's creating more narcissistic behaviors, which I, I don't think we can debate is, is definitely more prevalent. I remember reading a study about how this is from like mid 2000s that college students have a higher level of narcissism and avoidance than ever before, which ever before just means since we've measured it. Right. And I'm sure there's tons of confounding factors to that, but it doesn't matter because, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire and there's a lot of smoke around this. And I think about like, what will it be to only have known your life with a phone to then have to learn how to live without it? Like I handed my little cousin a map and said, Hey, look up this address. Cause we, I was doing something else. He's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? And I was like, <laughs> he's like, just give me Google maps. And I'm like, right. see, this is the issue. You get lost. You're dead. I get lost. Right. Find a map or a person. I ask someone, Hey, how do I find this place? But since we don't have the social skills, if we're not like learning them, we can't, we're even afraid to talk to a stranger. Right. Or the human skills to find your way just naturally. You know, we've, we've disconnected from a lot of what makes us human, but there's a term called technological determinism that our society and we become a reflection of the technology of the era, which is very true. And it's happened throughout time. Even hunters became, you know, better hunters because they developed the spear and created the spear, you know? So, uh, and, and because that they created that technology, because the technology of the spear existed, the culture changed, the, the spear changed how we hunted. You know, change so warfare, it, change it lots determined of us. It determined us. So like you said, that I'm, I'm the same way. And I, I assume that many of your listeners are too, where we want autonomy. We want control over our lives. Now, the truth is we're all born to this, into this world and we don't have total control and we're never going to be able to totally control our subconscious, which is great because it's a superpower doing a lot of things for us in the background. We're never going to have full control. But if we can understand first that we don't have control and that we haven't had control and who does have control right now and how technology is controlling us, we can at least step back from it all and say, okay, I see what's going on here and I want to approach it in a conscious way. How can I at least influence control into my life? How can I take hold of technology and how I use technology and at least control that? You know, and, and same with our subconscious, we're never going to fully be able to control that. But if we can begin to have a relationship with it and inform it and get it excited about the things that we care about, then we can start to become who we are instead and really have control instead of just reacting to life. Yeah. You think about it being like, um, how a tool, like you choose how you use the tool rather than just letting it just be. Exactly. You know, and it's such a powerful thing. It's more than that. Even we're programmed to use the tool in a certain way. So we're programmed to use social media in a certain way. We're programmed and manipulated to use it for longer and longer and longer. 
So these tools are coming to us and we're being programmed how to use them. We need to step back and say no and say, okay, these are great tools. I want to consciously program how I want to use these tools from my life and not the other way around. Well, I think about this too in this context of like uh, one form of an act of rebellion and the use of technology might be something like when the Arab Spring happened and everyone was on Twitter sharing what was going on. And when we use social media as this, as this megaphone of what's happening, of course, you then have the systems, quote unquote, I don't know where they come from, but they exist with trolls that then try to squash that where they're like bots that are sent out to like control the way we communicate. Right. And again, that's where our biology comes in and goes, troll is real person rejecting me and arguing with me. And, when you, and, when and we you, don't know the difference. Right. We don't. I know that. Like I get some weird troll who's just like, mm, I don't like what you said, you know, and I'm not saying if you disagree with what I say, I don't love you and call you a troll. I'm talking about real trolls. And it comes along and you go, okay, well, I have to separate who I am from what they're saying which again is this relationship to technology. My biology says be reactive, get defensive. Exactly. exactly. But I'm going to choose. And, you know, Viktor Frankl has that great quote from Man's Search for Meaning that that is one freedom that will never be able to be taken from man, from a human, which is the ability to choose one's response in any situation. And right. that hasn't gone anywhere. No technology. <laughs> that is the way through everything, truthfully, exactly. right? Is I like our is ability to choose. Exactly. My biology is not my destiny unless I let it be. Tony Robbins right. said that. I didn't. So if anyone quotes me, it wasn't me. I think it's in the same book, too, where he says uh, there's a stimulus and a response, and our space between lies our freedom. Yeah. And that's exactly right. We need to pause every time. But we're in a culture and we live in a life where there is no pause. And yeah, our brains. Fucking pause now. Our brains aren't wired to pause anymore. Like my brain has changed. I, I know I can look back 10 years ago and it's a lot harder for me to focus now. I know that my brain has changed, you know, and I, I have to be honest about that. And it changes with technology. It, you know, when you're behind the screen 10 hours a day, your brain changes, period. And so our brains are now even more wired for that, that short-term thing. And, and, and so it's hard. We have to, for you to consciously step out of that and for you to say, my biology wants to react in this way, but I need to create the space to mindfully respond in a way that's conscious is really hard. That's an exercise. It's freaking hard. And it's built through repetition of mindfulness, of, of meditation, of observing feelings, observing biological response. I'm still not perfect at it, of course, because I'm a human being exactly. and I can observe my response. Sometimes I do get reactive and then I have to bring it back to like vulnerability. I apologize. Can I try that again? Here's what I'd like, you know, and in that humility offers more space for more pause because there's less judgment because there's not shame hiding away an old behavior. But I think of this also being in the context of like one of the most beautiful things about technology in my experience, having been alive and being a teenager when technology really wasn't, you know, we had Mac Max in our computer lab when I was in grade eight and you played Oregon Trail with a little green bullet, you hit the space bar and it shot a, a green dot moved across the screen slower than any bullet has ever gone. And it would hopefully hit an ox and then you'd get meat for your family and you hope you didn't, your wagon didn't get washed down the, the river. Or die of dysentery. Right. And, and I still remember what it was like to not have the choice to stay inside with video game systems. 
till I was much older did I get an Xbox. I wasn't allowed one as a kid. And I hated that as a kid, but I can see with gratitude how powerful that was. Yeah. And I think of this of like our future. I didn't have like a place I could go be like, I'm going through a breakup. How do I get through this? It was like I listened to Boys to Men into the road and I was sad. And there wasn't a social structure for me to go to other guys and be like, hey, I'm super sad, buddy. Like, let's talk about our sad feelings. You know, like that wasn't also something that was available. And now you have all these, you can see that everybody can be a different way now. And that's, that's fascinating too. That you're not just born into who you are, that you get to, you know, obviously that's not true everywhere. But we, a lot more people have a choice in who they want to become, their gender, their sexuality, all these things. Yes. And that's, that's a really important thing to hit on because despite it being hard to choose, like we were talking about, for you to sit back and mindfully choose instead of react, we get to do that with most of our lives. A lot of us that are listening to this right now, and that is a gift in itself because a yeah. lot of the world does not have that ability to choose uh, in that same way. They have to choose what they're doing every day just to survive and get by. The fact that this is a struggle of ours is a beautiful, beautiful struggle. And for me, that's what I constantly come back to is my ability to have the freedom to work on this is, is makes me not want to squander it. So I, I knowing that I have the freedom to do these things and become better and I have enough time and resources where I can think about that and work on myself. I don't want to squander that potential and that ability. I, I want to really do as much as I can with it, which means trying to lengthen that stimulus and response as much as I can to have the mindfulness in between to make conscious choices to have a better life for me and then the people around me. When you think about this as the the idea of being able to maximize your relationship to technology, but also in the context of, I think about how there's sort of been an uploading of all of the world's or all of humanity's wisdom onto this platform that now is this, you know, I think when you look at a network of the interwebs, it looks like a human brain, mm-hmm. you know, all these interconnections, all these neurological connections. And it's crazy to think that before, if you wanted access to Buddhist wisdom or you were limited by your geography and, you know, you had a wise, you know, what, what, what would it be called, like a medicine man or something like that within your community that would share the knowledge that was inherent in the tribe or in the community. But now we have this access to unlimited amounts of information, Yeah, which You know, I think in some ways we pretend that we don't have, like you were saying, this privilege of choice. Like if you're listening to this, you have the privilege to listen to this, which likely means, no, you're a human, which means absolutely 100% that you have the privilege to likely be able to choose what you want Mm -hmm. and who you want to be, which doesn't mean it's not free of consequence of your community or the people around you or your family reacting to who you want to be. And I'm not saying to do this if it's unsafe to do so. Sure. But how how many people really do that? How many people step out of their lives and even ask the question, you know, who do I really want to be? You know, we we make we make shopping lists and to-do lists all the times, but how many times do we really look at say our three values that are most important to us and ensure that the choices we're making are going, you know, through the filters of those values? It's a great way, uh, for example, again, to make to do the hard things. Uh, or things like that. When you have values, for me, it's autonomy, harmony, and purpose. So when I'm thinking about the hard things, um, 
in my life or the easy things that I want to, you know, like if I want to have a piece of cake, I can run that through the filter of, is that, does that make me more autonomous or connected? Or do I feel purposeful by having that? It's like, no, okay, then it's an easy out. Uh, same thing with doing the hard things. I can, um, you know, need to sit down and do six hours of work on my own uh, projects and I can feel intimidated by it. But by knowing that it meets my values and I know that I'm going to be doing something that's contributing to my values, it changes my relationship to it and I can, I can engage in it. And we can do the same thing with, of course, with technology as well. Yeah. When you get to that place where you are aligning your life with what you say is important to you, you'll start to build self-worth from within. It won't matter about posting that shirtless mirror selfie to get likes anymore because you'll like who you are and you'll be able to say, does this actually align with who I want to be? No, it probably doesn't. I'll just give you a heads up on that one. You know, and I think that's that other side of technology that is, am I getting my self-worth from the affirmations I'm getting for what I post, because you can build a whole career based on, you know, Instagram based off of Bud or some abs or whatever. And I'm not saying that's bad. It's not a judgment. It's just, who are you without it? And if you're still someone who loves themselves authentically, then amazing. But I think for a lot of people, if they lost that side of their physical affirmations, or even mental affirmations, because I also have to check in on that, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not beyond that either. And I remember my friend saying to me, if you're going to ignore the bad comments, what do you do with the good ones? You don't get to choose. And I was like, ooh, touche. Thank you. Yeah. So in this experience, we are just bombarded with, with information. We are bombarded with this ability to choose. And I think, I think it was Esther Perel I was listening to who said, you were born into your role in life back in the day. You were born into a family that owned a farm and you were going to work on the farm and you're going to marry someone at the farm next door. You didn't get to really choose much, which made your partially sometimes you feel at peace because you didn't have decision fatigue. Right. And now we're so overwhelmed and inundated with choice that we have a hard time making any. Yeah, absolutely. And you had your role and we're always looking for our role in, in the world, you know, in our tribe, because we, we have that urge to fit into our tribe. And so if we don't have that, if we don't have that connection in that way, we're going to feel lost. So what's the cost of someone not taking care of their relationship to technology? Like what's the ultimate? They're not going to have control over their lives. You know, it's, it's, they're going to become a slave to, to the devices and, and the tactics online that are trying to control their behavior. That's the ultimate end. I mean, and that's what's happening to most of us. That's what was happening to me for years and still can happen. It's not even about, you know, being totally autonomous in this world and knowing that you can control every choice. Again, like we just really can't do that. It's being able to go on. It's first of all, it's becoming aware that all of this is true. These aren't conspiracies. This is a reality that we're spending 10 hours behind a screen and that we, there are companies out there trying to man- manipulate our behavior. That's just a reality. So if we can be aware of that and then decide how we use these things and even be able to name the manipulation tactics when we see them, or even name our own behavior of I'm going to log on to Instagram for entertainment right now. And I'm going to scroll out mm. of boredom. That's still you in control of your choice, naming it for what it oh, is. Oh, I like that. Then it doesn't have shame. No, it's putting you in the driver's seat. It's saying I'm taking control of my life. And right now, you know what I want to do? I want to scroll on Instagram for 10 minutes because I just had a hard day. And that's going to make me turn the fuck off. Great. That's a self-directed experience as opposed to, you mindlessly picking up your phone and habitually scrolling 
And then now you log off and you have low self-worth because you were comparing yourself or because you have shame, like you said, because you didn't feel in control of what you did. You know, Mm. you just did it out of habit and that doesn't feel good. But when you're able to make decisions for yourself, even if they're not the best for you, it changes your relationship to it. And you're less likely to do those things in the future. If you say, I'm going to scroll for 10 minutes mindlessly, probably after five minutes, you're going to be like, no, this is bullshit. I'm mindlessly scrolling right now and I don't want to do this. But before we would do it for 20 because we were mindless about it and wouldn't be aware that it was even happening. Mm, And I think about how when you get some information about how much you're using your phone, then go into a question, what happens if I was to intentionally direct some of this time to connection with important relationships in my life that are actually suffering and that I probably use my phone to escape the pain of that disconnection. There you go. I see that a lot with not only romantic relationships, friends, family, where it's like, we, I'm disconnected with you. I feel like you spend too much time on your phone. You're always on it when we're around. And it's like, no, I'm not. You do this and you do that. You know, it's, instead of hearing this call for connection, this call for closeness, this request, And I think in a lot of ways we can get lost into this, especially into this world of, well, people, you know, that's how easy it is to develop a a digital relationship because you're not getting these demands of you like you might be from your romantic partner. Well, that's 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 where it gets really hard on ourselves. It's again, our brains don't know the difference of uh, these social connections, which ones are more valuable. And since those are easier to maintain and and do, Mm -hmm. our brain likes to take the path of least resistance. So it's it's much better for us to just stay online and do that as opposed to go out into the real world and actually take risk and, and, and be vulnerable, you know, that's much harder. So yeah, our, our tribal parts of ourselves tell us that, Hey, why don't you just hop online and and get it from there? But we're not getting the full experience because we're not having human contact where all of the real information is being exchanged. Well, I hear all, all the time, doesn't matter the city. I hear just insert city. It's so hard to meet people in. Doesn't matter the city. I hear the same complaint. And then I go to a coffee shop at any city (laughs) and in line is everybody's on their phone. Walking down the street, New York, you got to keep your head up because people are head down, walking around, get mad at you because, you know, they might bump into you and you're like, yo, well, you can't say yo to a New Yorker. You're going to get knocked out. You know, just pay attention. Anyone listening, pay attention to when you go to pick up your phone. Cause I started to do that. It was like when I'm in line, when I'm, you know, waiting for anything, cause we have such a hard time just waiting yeah. and then look at where you could direct your eyes up, meet someone else's eyes, practice asking for directions without your phone, just going to someone. So you can start a conversation and practice with people who you're not romantically inclined with so that you can practice social skills. And then start to actually connect with people in the fucking real world. Right. Which I'm not debating with social, you know, social media, because like you were saying, it's a tool. It's how you use it that that is important. Does it use you or do you use it? Right. I don't want some, you know, systems and governments to be manipulating my brain and my data, although it's probably happening right now. You know, but But see, like for us to be able to do that in line and not pick up our our phone and just scroll, we have to design our environment so that happens. We have to take matters into our own hands. We can't just rely on our ability to just do it or to will our way through it and to consciously decide that. So instead, we have to 
design our environment so it makes it easier for us. For example, our phone, you could either you could delete your social media app, you could put timers on your phone so you can only be on apps for a certain amount of time, and then it actually asks you to you have to bypass it. So if you put a time limit on Instagram for 20 minutes and then you exceed 20 minutes to open Instagram again, you have to bypass the the time limit, which is a, a mental block. So you can set up time limits, but you can also organize your phone for a, a more conscious life. You can put Instagram inside of a folder that's on your last screen on your iPhone where it takes like four or five swipes and cool. clicks to get through. Who wants to do four or five swipes? Right. That's how so, lazy we are. We're like, I can't swipe to the fourth page. That's bullshit. Well, because here's the thing though, it's it's a it's a it's a trick because we're mindlessly picking up our phones, but you can't really mindlessly take yourself through all of those swipes and steps. And if you are, you're in big trouble, you know? <laughs> but usually you're going to be like, okay, what am I doing? You know, it's, it's, it's enough space. Again, it goes back to the stimulus and a response. We have the stimulus of boredom. And so we want to, we pick up our phone mindlessly. And instead of just reacting and picking up our phone and opening up Instagram, we're, we're creating a space where you pick up your phone and now you have to swipe and click and swipe and click that in that time, hopefully you have the awareness of what am I doing? Why don't you talk to someone in line? So, it's something to think about, you know, as far as designing your environment and designing your relationship to technology such that you make it a little bit more difficult to utilize the things that are the easiest and especially the ones you want to improve. What about the effects of um, blue light on us and our brains? Yeah, between blue light and EMFs, I mean, these are things like... Um, what is EMF you know, for people listening? Just so it's... What is electromagnetic? Electromagnetic frequency. So like from your phone right now, um, let's say you have Wi-Fi turned on, Bluetooth turned on, and your cell phone, um, you know, just data turned on. Your Wi-Fi signal is emitting EMFs to reach a cell phone tower. And that's going to emit the most amount of EMFs. Then your um, your data, your cell phone, is trying to reach a cell phone tower, and it is connected to a cell phone tower. To reach that cell phone tower, it's putting out electromagnetic waves, and then Bluetooth does the same. But just like um, that's how you connect Bluetooth headphones, there's a frequency. But as you know, with Bluetooth headphones, you can walk to your car and it disconnects. The frequency of that is much lower, but the frequency of Wi-Fi, you can think about the ex how far it has to extend to reach a, a tower, same thing with cell phones. So these things are very, very powerful. We don't know how they're affecting us right now. It's one of those things like, you know, smoking cigarettes back in the day. They didn't really know until... Yeah, doctors recommended them. They were good for you. <laughs> and if you, but even if you look at uh, cell phone recommendations, they tell you not to put it up against your face. They tell you not to have direct contact with it. And they put the ear hole right up there. Don't put it by right. your face, but here's the ear hole that's going to make you do that. So when it, I mean, doctors were telling you before smoking was safe, that's fine. Well, they're telling us that these things aren't safe. They're telling us not to put these up to our heads for extended periods of time because of how dangerous it is. So we, we don't know. Uh, the blue light obviously affects our mitochondria and, and keeps us more awake and, and, and stimulated, especially at night. That's why it's really important that you turn night shift on. If you have that capability, Flux is a great app that you can use where it, it takes away all of the blue light from whatever device you're using and it just gives you red light red light doesn't affect your sleep doesn't affect your mitochondria so you can you better sleep but yeah these things are affecting our biologies in way or our biology in ways that we've never had a relationship to technology in these ways and we don't know what's going to happen as a consequence but 
something to keep in mind when you are in your vehicle or even in airplanes, um, there's a Faraday cage that gets produced. The Faraday cage is, when, you know, if you're in something that's metal, like a car, your signal is trying to reach the, the cell phone tower and it hits the top of your car, which is metal, and then bounces back down and hits the bottom of your car, which is metal, and keeps bouncing up and down. And that reception and that signal keeps bouncing up and down and essentially starts to kind of cook you on some level. Oh, and amazing. Very, very small degree. But when you're doing that every day, <laughs> sending out um, EMFs to connect to your cell phone tower and your Wi-Fi tower, and it's bouncing around in your car with nowhere to go except for you absorbing it, we don't know what 20 years of that kind of contact will, will do to us because we haven't, we haven't had that. So we don't know, but I uh, think, I think most of us have used our cell phones long enough where we get off of it and we don't feel right. You know, where our hands hurt from the heat. I had or, a callus on my pinky from holding it on the bottom. <laughs> I had one, I had an iPhone callus <laughs> and I knew that was time. You know, when you get, you're like, it's time. I've hit rock bottom. This is rock bottom. My, my yeah. finger is now a phone mount. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not good. It, in what you're saying, I just think about how we want the benefit without thinking of the cost for so many things. And that being exactly. so correlated to everything, to like the benefit of being reactive rather than connective. Well, one, you won't get hurt, but you're also not connected which is much like this. Yes, you get a dopamine hit, but you're not connected. And isn't that the fact, like our bodies thrive on actual safe and secure and legit cellular-based connection. Our dopamine feels really great when someone sends us, you know, a like or a, a message, but, you know, it's not. not sustainable. No, in your body, no. Yeah. No, living for dopamine hits is not sustainable. It's not It's not going to be a, a happy way to live. No, and I think about just how we, there's so much to take in about technology when we haven't heard what you're talking about before, you know, about this relationship to how could this be owning me and, and blue light and EMF, you know, all of that stuff becomes, I know there's new glasses that are being made like true darks that are in blue light blockers that people are wearing all the time. Now, I know people who in their house have changed all their light bulbs to, I think it's incandescent bulbs. Mm -hmm. So they have no blue light. Yeah. Another uh, people are getting rid of Wi-Fi too, and Wi-Fi routers and instead connecting their computers directly to, you know, like modems because it, wow. it can be um, it better for you and you're not emitting the, the Wi-Fi. But yeah, it's, it's scary stuff. It really is. Wow. And blocking um, in insulation on the side of houses to block uh, EMF. Mm hmm because 5G is supposed to really, right? Yeah, and that they're, they've shown, and I don't, I thought this was conspiracy and looked into it a little bit more, but I think it's still so much of it's unknown. But this is the kind of stuff that uh, scares the shit out of me. 5G, they're saying, can impact our brains in ways that we know are scary. And some are saying that it can even influence our brains, which I think is a little... Uh, a little out there, but it's it's such high frequency that it can change our brain wave state, and I think that is really really scary and something we have to be thinking wow. about. We don't we don't need to keep going, you know. I we don't need 10G. Have you gotten back on a 3G now? You feel like no. it's a fax machine when you're <laughs> traveling, and all of a sudden you get on 3G. You're like, Choo -choo 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 
Like, what the hell is happening here? Can't you upload this high definition 4K video faster? Right. Well, that's the thing. And and that's the argument, too, where, I mean, we can't really say that these things are going to slow down. And who are we to say that they should? You know, technology started with the spear and the fire uh, all the way up to what we're, where we're at now. People said before having cars would destroy us, elevators, airplanes, the fax machine. Know, Fact, whatever with the phone, there's always been a cry when new technologies come into the world that it's going to completely destroy the civilization. Obviously, we're moving into a time where technology is moving so much faster that there actual there there really is things that we should worry about here. But ultimately, yeah, we have to control these things before they, you know, take control of us. Well, and let's control what we can right now, which is our relationship to technology, our relationship to our phone, our relationship to our iPads or whatever it is. And is it contributing to the life and the person we want to be or is it not? And I think right. with that, I think that's a, a beautiful way to say, hey, everybody, pay goddamn attention to your technology and yourself. And I will do the same, I promise. And so, Miles, where do people find you? Thank you for being on today. because. Yeah, man. A lot of people are going to be like, oh, shit. I gotta." So if they want to renew their relationship to technology and explore it, I know you have a course about that, but where do they yeah. find all of you, all of the things? Uh, how to Become Yourself is my platform on there. I'm going to have a course for how to use social media to improve your well-being. I will also have courses on how to improve your relationship to technology in general. And tons of content already where you can figure out ways to better your relationship. One tip that I could leave people with that I highly recommend is to use your do not disturb feature more. It's a great entry point into a lot of what we're talking about, where you you start to take more control over your technology. You don't have to give anything up. You can essentially just put your phone on to do not disturb. Your favorites can still get a hold of you. If someone calls you two times in a row, it'll still go through. So you don't have to worry about people not being able to get a hold of you. But you'll start to gain better control over your life because you can batch your text messages. You can batch when you respond to people and not feel as though your attention is constantly divided, not only to everyone in your circle, but um, online as well with your phone constantly interrupting you with different notifications. Um, so that's a great entry point into just taking more control over your life. So go to, on Instagram, your ad, how to become yourself. How to become yourself website, how to become yourself.com. Perfect. And everybody, if your mind hasn't been blown into some form of digital smithereens, then I don't know, you, you probably weren't listening and you need to pay more attention. Um, my man, that was amazing. I'm so grateful. Yeah, man. Thanks Thank for having for being me on. Here. Thank you for sharing. I love what you're doing, being in relationship to self and, and, and others is so important. And our relationship to technology is, you know, another one of those pillars. Oh, for me, I just think it's so essential that we learn this before it takes us down, you know, in some way. So I appreciate you being here, brother. Of course, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. 